It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Good afternoon. It is the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA for this uh, Friday, July 10th, 2020. Ed Dawson, uh, Rob Francis, and uh, we're going to be uh, joined in studio momentarily by a special guest. We're getting that uh, guest situated into uh, the studio. Before we get to uh, to that, um, boy, a number of things that we're going to get to today on the program. Number one uh, on the agenda is the vote that was taken by the Seattle City Council uh, yesterday evening, last evening, in which uh, there was a majority, supermajority support to defund the Seattle Police Department by fifty percent, and you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't a binding situation, but it's their intent to to do this in the near future. This is something that a couple of the members of the city council in Seattle have been pushing for, Shama Sawant and Councilwoman Mosqueda and others, um, that it looks like it has uh, the support of uh, enough of the council members that it will move forward. And just on a personal note, it's just, it's sad. It's sad to me. Um, I don't, I don't care you know, what your feelings are about uh, the events that led up to to this decision. But this is not, this is not an, an isolated thing. Unfortunately, the city of Seattle, which, you know, was, and in some respects still is, an incredible city, um, took a hit, took a hit with that vote. I wonder how many people out there who are going to, uh, pass over opportunities to visit Seattle in the near future if they feel like their personal safety is in jeopardy by having half as many police out on the streets. Because, look, it not only does it mean fewer bodies uh, patrolling or what have you, uh, you know, able to respond to certain things, there's a perception going to happen there too. There's there's the perception is is that you know if there if there are fewer police, the perception is that uh, people are going to feel like well they can get away with whatever they want because hey, you know there's fewer police out there, and that is going to undoubtedly lead to more instances in which the police have to respond and. There'll be fewer of them to respond. So it's just, again, it's it's a dangerous situation, but it's incredibly sad what's uh, what's happened to uh, the city of Seattle. We'll dive a little bit more into that a little bit later on uh, this afternoon, Rob. Oh, that we definitely will. There's there's much to discuss between the uh, 
the impacts the Seattle City Council has had this week alone uh, and and what some of the reaction already is coming from, believe it or not, the east side of the state as a result. But we want to welcome to the program State Senator Phil Fortunato running for uh, governor who is in town today. Welcome, Senator. Good to see you again. Uh, thank you, sir. So talk to us a little bit. Since the last time you were here, we've had a couple of mandates from the governor. Uh, we now have the the mask mandate statewide. Um, we also just got word that the Safe Start proclamation has been extended through August 6th. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you have seen and heard regarding the latest responses to COVID-19 since you've been on the campaign trail? And what is the most common thing that you're getting from voters when you're out there? Well, I guess the question comes in is, uh, you know, more and more we're hearing from the voters that everybody thinks this stuff is a hoax to some extent. You know, that isn't isn't really as bad as they're saying and all that stuff. And to some extent, that that is true. So, you know, my position is I've been at war with the governor since March 26th on him shutting down the entire economy. And the solution to that is, you know, as a state senator, I'm reduced to writing letters to Santa Claus. I mean, I can't really do anything unless we're in session. And I've been pushing uh, the governor to call a special session or the legislature to call itself into special session. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm a little disappointed that the uh, our our caucus position that they didn't stick with the vote that we took to tell the governor that we weren't going to extend any more of these proclamations and we wanted to go in a special session and my goal was to to rein in his these uh, in effect dictatorial powers that he thinks he has uh but uh, you know as as an elected official i can't represent the people in my district if i'm not in session and he's putting people in my district and by default the entire state out of business uh, he's putting on these mandates that I don't think he has the right to do. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, we are no longer in an emergency. Therefore, he no longer has emergency powers. That doesn't mean that we don't have a crisis that needs to be managed, but that does mean that he doesn't have the right to keep imposing these more and more uh, restrictions. So we know, I believe it was either 2019 or 2018, that the uh, the Senate bill that expanded the governor's powers uh, in a state of emergency was passed by voters. Tell us, as somebody who obviously in the legislature, while this is happening, crafted, goes on the ballot, tell us exactly how much of an impact that this has had on our current situation. Well, you know, uh, I, I got to back up a little bit. So you're a state senator and you get a briefing. Now, we had just come off of what they call the Cascadia Rising briefing, right? We're going to have an earthquake, massive earthquake. The R5 is going to collapse. The uh, communication system is going down. We're going to have a likely tidal wave hits the West Coast. It's going to come down Puget Sound. Volcanoes are going to go off. We're going to have a lahar. That's what we were crafting this to. That's what everybody was thinking. Nobody was thinking this virus thing because you're thinking... And and the mistake that was made in crafting the legislation was they we didn't put the 30 day limit on his emergency powers. That's the that's the big mistake. Uh, Oregon, for example, has that 30 day limit on emergency powers. She tried to go about uh, over that and they uh, they were able to rein her in uh, through the courts. We can't do that. So 
The only way to rein him in is to go back into session and have the legislature do that. And even some of the Democrats, are they're not willing to say it publicly, but there is a small group of Democrats that are actually opposing what he's doing. They're just not willing to come out and say anything. Now, we understand the one holdout for the special session has been the senator from Spokane, Andy Billick. He is the one that has refused to be the fourth signature, uh, whereas both House members and Senator Schessler have both already approved the special session. If we don't have this special session, we're not going to do anything probably until if, if something doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, we're not going to do anything until after the election is my right. guess. So now the uh, when I was pushing for a legislative special session, our caucus was responding back by saying, oh, well, we might get more than we bargained for. They might impose an income tax. They might run an income tax. They might do this. They might do that. They might you know, raise taxes. I said, perfect. It's what I want them to do. Before November. I want them to show their cards now before November. I go, they're going to do this anyway in January after the election. So we want them. I said, I want them on the Senate floor. I want them making these crazy uh, 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 floor speeches in favor of an income tax or whatever. I want them to be doing that because people have to know where they actually stand and what they want to do before November. And um, so... um, I mean, that's, that's where we are. And, and, you know, people ask me, what can I do? I'll tell you what you can do. Every single person can call the legislative hotline. I can't remember the number, but they could call the legislative hotline, and they could say, they could leave a message, they want your legislator to represent them and go into special session. Now, obviously, it's going to have more of an impact on the Democratic senators. So if you have a Democratic senator, call them twice. <laughs> No. Yeah, uh, if they'll listen. Uh, you know, the other thing, in fact, let's take a quick timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more with Senator Fortunato because a lot of things happening in his county over the last couple of days certainly could have an impact on the rest of the state in the coming legislative session because, well, it's just going to happen to be that budgetary session. Back with more on the bottom line, News Radio 610 K1A after this. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509 547 1610. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Robinette here on your Friday afternoon, joined in studio by State Senator Phil Fortunato, running for governor this year, one of many vying unseats, Jay Inslee. So. Let me ask you this, Senator Fortunato. Um, We've seen a lot of things transpire over the course of the last few months. One of the biggest things, of course, has been an economic downturn as a result of COVID-19. We know that there are a lot of things that are vital to the state's economy, including um, a vibrant and prosperous city of Seattle, even though many of us here over on the east side of the state aren't big fans of it. We know that it it is the revenue generating engine in the state. What are some of the things that you have seen over the course of the last few months and even maybe going further back that the governor has neglected when it comes to either helping business and industry in Seattle or helping other elements of the city that we know that are significantly important to our not just appearance nationwide, but our our appearance and even prosperity worldwide that you would look to rectify if you were elected? 
Okay, first of all, you know, people in Seattle, I ran the bill, you know, people on the west side, east side want to separate themselves from the west side. I said, in, in King County, uh, I ran a bill to separate Seattle from the rest of King County, right, for the same reason. And uh, somebody asked me how you're going to do that, and I said, build a wall, right? But, uh, um, you know, and they, and they said, well, you've been bashing Seattle the entire time. Yeah, it's in my interest. I represent the 31st. If I was governor, however, it's in our interest at the statewide level to have Seattle clean up its act because that's where all the foreign dignitaries are. That's where all the, the uh, big major tourist thing. And uh, so I had dinner with these three guys from the Korean Assembly. And the first thing they asked me is, why do you let these people crap on the sidewalk? That was the first thing they said to me. You know, and I said, uh, so when they go back to Korea, they are not going to be saying, oh, Seattle was so beautiful. We went to the Space Needle. You know, we saw the Puget Sound and the ferries and the mountains and all. They're not going to say that. They're going to say those people let people crap on the sidewalk. So it is it, 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 it's all the consulates, all the foreign consulates are all in Seattle. So it's in everybody's interest to have Seattle clean up its act. Now, this craziness that they're currently doing. The governor doesn't have much authority to usurp that internal politics unless they come to the legislature or unless something is challenged uh, and they want some kind of state law to allow them to impose some kind of tax that maybe uh, uh, the courts say or a state issue or, or something like that. So, but, so what can the governor actually do? And in this campaign, you hear a lot of people talking about, as governor, I'm going to do this. Well... You know, you get that little minor uh, uh, stumbling block. They call it the legislature. So, you know, there's uh, I am the only candidate. When you look at all these candidates, I am the only guy that is actually an elected uh, legislator. So I'm the only guy that actually knows what the heck is really going on. Everybody else is just guessing. So when I say I am going to address the homeless issue, you could go to my webpage and you could look at the systematic legislative agenda that you need to address legislatively to ad- address the homelessness issue, the mental health issue, the, the uh, drug addiction issue and all that stuff. You know, you can't just say, I'm going to I'm going to fix this. How are you going to do it? You know, I, I mean, I was at a forum the other day and somebody goes, I am going to uh, put more money into roads. OK, how are you going to do that? Where is it going to come from? How are you going to do it? I'm the only guy that has a bill that says when you buy a car, you take the existing sales tax that you pay when you buy a car and you stick that into the gas tax account. Now, if you did that, the entire problem with uh, funding construction goes away. You now have a inflation linked revenue stream. That's the way you fix it. But you have a legislative uh, agenda. You have a legislative method to actually implement what you're talking about. And no other candidate has that. And I said, you know, being in the legislature is both my biggest asset and my biggest liability. You know, uh, these guys have a four month jump on me campaigning and raising money because, oh, by the way, I was in session. So I'm over there fighting a good fight. If you are a Second Amendment advocate, I'm the guy that's endorsed by the gun owners, actually, the Washington Arms Collectors, and has an NRA A-plus rating. If you are a pro-life person, I am the only candidate that is endorsed by human life. So if you are an anti-tax person, uh, I am the only guy that's in this race that actually has a voting record that you could tech, you could check. And I have a, uh, uh, you know, 86 percent approval rating with the uh, American Conservative Union. So you can you don't have to ask me and say, hey, how do I know you're going to do what you say you're going to do? You could go back and check. 
You could say, hey, how did this guy vote on taxes? How did this guy vote on guns? What kind of bills did he run? What are his actual solutions to things? And nobody else in this race can say that. And when you talk about protecting the Constitution and constitutional issues and things, I go, some of the things that you have constitutionally, when you say, for example, uh, I am not going to enforce a particular law. Well, okay. The way that you have to do that is you have to challenge that law in court. As governor, you don't have the choice. If you're a constitutional person as governor and they pass a law, you don't have the right to say, I'm not going to enforce that law. You have the right to say, I don't like this law and I'm going to challenge it in court. And until it's resolved, we're not going to enforce it. You could say that. But the governor doesn't have the right to say it's constitutional or unconstitutional. If you're a constitutionalist, the Supreme Court, the courts determine constitutionality. So, I mean, you have that little bit of a foggy area when people start saying this kind of stuff. If you're a real constitutional thing, that's the way you have to, that's the way you have to address it. Now, you know, 1639, for example. I don't like 1639. And uh, do I have the right to say I'm not going to enforce it? No, I don't. But I do have the right to challenge it in court and say, I don't like this. I think this is unconstitutional and I don't want to follow it. But that's the way you constitutionally object to these things. And that's why, you know, I got an NRAA plus rating. Uh, uh, I don't vote against guns. I don't vote against life. And, um, uh, you know, I'm the anti-tax guy. I have you can't find a vote where I actually voted to to, uh, raise taxes. So I don't want somebody that's going to raise taxes. Well, I have the track record that you could go back and look at for four years that says that. Oh. And if I remember correctly, 1639 is still tied up in the courts. Yep, still in the courts. So is $30 car tabs, for example. And, uh, and you know, $30 car tabs, people say, I voted for $30 car tabs and they're not giving it to me. You know why they're not giving it to you? They're not giving it to you because it also includes repealing the little bit of sales tax on the sale of motor vehicles and rental cars. And the sales tax on rental cars and, and new car sales has nothing to do with $30 car tabs. And that's why it's held up in court. That's why I ran a clean $30 car tab bill. All it did was give everybody what they actually voted for, which was $30 car tabs. So that's how you legislatively do this stuff. And if I remember correctly, that bill didn't go anywhere. Well, of course, we did get a hearing. Got a hearing. That's, right. that's of course, the Democrats lucky. don't want it to go anywhere. And when right. people say, I have a good Democrat, I'm going to vote for that good Democrat, a bad Republican is still better than a good Democrat because the Democratic leadership calls the shots and the Democratic leadership determines what bills get a hearing, what bills come to the floor for a vote. So even if you have a bad Republican, that's still better than a good Democrat or what you think is a good Democrat. That would probably explain why they were all silent during Chaz Chop or whatever its name was when it was all said and done. Yeah. There, there was no peep. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, some of them actually went down there. I said some of them should actually be, uh, you know, uh, recalled for their actions during those, uh, those things where they went down and actually supported the uh, protesters. Interesting days. Well, Interesting days. We're going to take a quick time out. Got one more thing we want to touch on with Senator Fortunato when we come back. Like we said, it's been an interesting week in the state of Washington uh, between the Seattle City Council and, oh, well, we could, we could chat about OSPI for a minute and this plan to uh, how we're going to bring kids back to school and the way we're going to bring kids back to school if we bring them back to school. And since we know the legislature is responsible for the funding mechanism that goes to K-12 through education, could we see changes in this 
And would it be something that could actually be a positive change in public education in the state of Washington? Back with a few more minutes with State Senator Phil Fortunato running for governor here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. up with the bottom line on twitter at bottom line 610 now back to the show presented by summit funding in kennewick and prosser back at the bottom line news radio 610 kona friday afternoon robin ed joined in studio by state senator phil fortunato who is running for governor of the great state of washington and senator we know you didn't just come here to say see us even though we know you uh you enjoy our company you didn't come here just to talk to us. You've got something going on later on tonight. What, do you, what, what is the event? Well, well, first of all, before we get into that, I just want to say everybody focuses on how long it's been since we had a Republican governor. But the more important number is it's been 115 years since we had a bearded governor. So that's about, and just so you know, I have T-shirts that say that, and they come in double X and triple X, so I'm going to actually fit you. So um, I'm actually here to uh, for a little uh, event at the uh, Patriot Barn, uh, located in Prosser at 22236 North Hunziger Road, Prosser. So if you could come, uh, go to our uh, webpage, take a look and see where it is. That's Phil, dot org. Um, and uh, again, that's two 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 three six North Hunzinger Road, Prosser, at the Patriot Barn tonight at six thirty. So I'll be speaking there and making my pitch on why, if you support the Second Amendment, why, if you support the Constitution, um, and you're pro life, I'm the guy that you should be uh, supporting for governor. So, Senator Fortunato, one of the things that we've seen that has raised some eyebrows in this COVID thing is maybe a possible way forward or maybe something that we could use in the future as a benefit is the way remote schooling has been used in a couple of in in a few fashions um we've heard from a couple of different national associations saying that public education is going to need increased funding when they come back they're going to need even more money than they already have now in order for you know to be able to make sure that kids are safe and be able to do this and be able to do that but Remote schooling seems to be a possibility for those who have the capability of doing it. You know, maybe those parents where one parent doesn't work, that the kids could be at home. I mean, this seems to me like this could be a real possibility. But let's look at the Washington State Constitution. We have to fund K-12 through education. How would something like that be accomplished if it wa- if it became a priority for the legislature to make that make so, that open? So, uh, you know, one of the most common reasons that you have people talk about that say they, they want their kids to return to school is, hey, I got to work. I got a job. So if you decided to do remote schooling or a, a remote schooling, homeschooling type of approach, um, you know, it's going to wind up, it's going to cost the family money. Maybe somebody's got to come home earlier or, or stay home or whatever. And I'm the only guy that actually ran the bill that says, now that we have an identified uh, uh, pot of money from your property tax that goes to the state for education, if you homeschool your kid or send your kid to private school, for example, or in this case, remote schooling, you, could, you would have to add that, um, you would be exempt 
from uh, the state property tax. Now, the reason you want the exemption is to avoid the constitutional issue of funding private education or homeschooling. By not sending the money to the state, it's not state money. If the money goes to the state and then comes back to you, then you have the constitutional issue. So that's why you would have a property tax exemption in order to handle that. Now, what that would mean is most families would get somewhere in the vicinity of 800 to 1200 dollars. Now, I mean, that may not be a lot considering that it's cost 15, you're, you're funding private uh, public education of fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 per kid, but it's better than nothing. It's something that we could, uh, we could look at. Well, and the one thing to, to take that constitutional point a little bit further, by the exemption would avoid the trickiness of the graduated income tax. Right, right. So, you know, and many times I go into a room and it's full of, a, you know, a bunch of people and I say, how many people here would vote for an $800 rebate in property tax? And everybody raises their hand. So if there was something on the ballot that said you would get $800 back in property tax, everybody here would vote for it. Oh, yeah, $800 is better than nothing. Okay, if you did that, everybody would be paying a different tax rate. Now, people think that the state constitution prohibits an income tax. It does not. It prohibits a graduated income tax. It has a uniformity of taxation clause. So if everybody is paying a different tax rate, the reason it would be on the ballot is you would be amending the state constitution to eliminate that uniformity of taxation clause. And as soon as you do that, that's what protects you against a graduated income tax. So uh, uh, you vote to get your $800 back, and you would be amending the state constitution to allow for a graduate income tax, and that's what the, what the Democrats want. And have wanted for some time now. Oh. And the reason people go, we can't have it in this state is because nine times it's been over, overruled. Well, that's because of that graduated nature of the, of the tax. That's what's actually been overruled. We know you've got your event coming up tonight, Senator. Anything else that you would like to make our listeners aware of? So, you know, again, the fact that I'm the only guy that actually has a tax record or a, a, a voting record, a voting history. Uh, for example, I got, I got the Friends of the Farm Bureau Award, uh, Housing Award, the Conservative Achievement Award, uh, Human Life, uh, uh, endorsed by Human Life PAC, uh, endorsed by, uh, you know, Gun Owners Action League, which is the uh, state thing for the NRA, NRA Plus rating. So, you know, if you want a conservative, pro-life, pro-gun governor, I'm the guy. And I would like to ask you guys to please go to my webpage, look at my stuff, send me, go to my Facebook page, Phil for Governor, Phil Fortunato for Governor. Uh, check it out and let me know. If you have any questions, I'll be glad to address them. And the event tonight, if you are interested in attending, is in Prosser at the Patriot Barn at 22236 North Hinserling Road in Prosser. And it is 630 tonight. So uh, if you are interested in hearing the senator speak in person in Prosser tonight at the Patriot Barn is the place. And I'm just going to ask people, when you look at your candidate, Ask that candidate if they have any baggage, because if they make it through the primary election, they're going to be the ones that has to go up against Inslee in the general. And the last thing that the Democrats used on me was 87 or uh, 37 years ago, I paid the IRS $87.50. That was a hit piece that they used on me. So. So that's my baggage. So. Wow. It's 30, that's a big rock they had to go under to find yeah. that. Well, you know, hey. 
But we always appreciate your time, Senator. Enjoy your event tonight, and hopefully it goes well for you. Hopefully we get to talk to you again in the near future. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. Going to take a quick time out here on the bottom line. News Radio 610 K1A. It is Friday afternoon. Next hour. It's been a while since we've let the donkey out, uh, Ed. Yep, about that time. We will let the donkey out a little bit later on to Rome. We will be riding the donkey of shame. We've thought about uh, opening it up for for another Hall of Famer. Still debating that. We know the governor is the only donkey of shame Hall of Famer we currently have. But we might be making room in the corral for another one. But we will discuss the issues of the week, particularly on the west side when we return and the latest developments there. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back on the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA, 547-1610, if you would like to get involved on this Friday afternoon. Also via email at 610KONA.com, the bottom line page, your name, where you're listening, what you'd like to say. We are on Twitter at Bottom Line 610 and on Parlor at The Bottom Line 610. And uh, some interesting interesting news, Ed, regarding uh, the first wave of data about people wearing masks here in the Tri-Cities. Well, the, the first um, mask survey done by the Benton Franklin Health District a week or so ago uh, showed that a little more than half of the people... Um, in the bi-county area, I think it was either 53 or 54 percent, were wearing masks. And what they would do is at random times in random uh, major shopping areas, uh, grocery stores, places like Walmart and others, um, even in not just in the Tri-City metro area, but Connell, uh, Benton City, West Richland, you know, all over the place, uh, they they would chart uh, how many people were wearing masks and how many people weren't. So that was the first kind of out of the gate. That one came after uh, Dr. Amy Person, the, the health uh, director, um, made her mask mandate. So she says it, a little over half the people are abiding by it. Then came the whole move to phase 1.5 and the governor's mask mandate. And again, this is, I don't know how scientific this is, but it it does give you a snapshot anyway, an idea. Uh, According to the latest information released by the health district, Compliance for masks in the bi-county area now at 95%. 95% from 53 or 4% to 95% throughout the bi-county area. Now, we don't have the specific breakdowns uh, yet of where, uh, you know, which city had, you know, better compliance and things like that. We hope to get that soon. 95%. I mean, that's if you're if you're taking the the four major cities into consideration, and then you're taking looking at next populated with Prosser and Benton City and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's got that's at least ninety percent compliance in every area. 
minimum. I, I it is it's a good stat. Yeah, um, it's a good stat. It's a good stat, but I I want to see what it leads to. You know, we had over a hundred cases combined in Benton and Franklin County yesterday. It's same today. Uh, we need to drive that down. I mean, we need to we need to be, you know, in and around, you know, thirty or so for the by county area for for a stretch of time so we can move on. So my point is, if over the last week there's ninety five percent compliance on wearing masks, I hope that translates to where we start to see a decline in the number of cases because that's really, yeah, they, you know, the state health department, certainly Benton Franklin health district, but more so the state health department and the governor look at a lot of metrics, but they look at case counts and trends in case counts and percent positives on tests. Uh, That's the biggie. You know, how, how widespread is your infection rate for your community? In this case, Benton and Franklin County. So I hope, I hope that that this leads to fewer cases. If it doesn't, you will see a mutiny. You will see people ditching their masks left and right. Well, and here's I the, hope that's not I, I hope that it gets the desired result because ninety five percent compliance is, is tremendous. It's huge. But but it also comes back to this question. And this is a fair question. What was the sample size? We asked that with every poll. What is the sample size? And where was it done? So did you split it up throughout Benton County? Was it just in the Tri-Cities portion of the Benton, of Benton County? Was it just in Kettlewick and Richland? Was there a little bit in West Richland? Did you go to Prosser? Did you go to Benton City? Did you go to the outlying areas? So how many people make up the sample size and where were they? This, uh, this latest survey... Um reportedly uh, included about 4,000 shoppers, okay? 4,000 shoppers observed at eight different grocery stores from July 4th through the 9th, so through yesterday. So the July 4th weekend and this week through yesterday. uh, At various uh, businesses, again, around the county, we don't have... These specific spots, uh, but four thousand shoppers. I mean, I I actually think that's a larger sample size than before, and it was it was um, it was fifty three percent compliance last time. So fifty three percent. I mean, that's nearly double. You know, the compliance. I mean, that's that's a huge uptick. Again, will it translate into? fewer cases. You know, Yakima has, um, you know, a ton of cases that they're trying to drive down to. They also have a mask mandate. They also are doing uh, surveys. The last survey that Yakima County did was like three weeks ago, and they had 65% or two-thirds roughly of their residents wearing face coverings. That was three weeks ago. Okay, that was before they got pulled along into phase 1.5 also. Um, Spokane uh, also is seeing a rise in their cases. 
they too have been doing a mask um, survey. And over this past weekend, similar to the one that we did here in Spokane County, again, they also found about two-thirds of the residents wearing masks, uh, that according to the newspaper in Spokane. So two-thirds compliance in Yakima and Spokane County, we're getting 95 here. Again, tremendous job. Keep it up. And let's all cross our fingers that this actually leads to fewer cases because once that happens, once we start trending, you know, in the low double digits each day, that's when things are going to start opening up again, which is what we all want. Not only from the, you know, not only do the businesses want to open up, the community wants the businesses to open up. We want to be able to do more activities it's all, it'll all start opening up to us once we can drive down those cases. So again, 95% mass compliance uh, just in this last week from last weekend through yesterday is a great start. It's a great start. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it around 90% over a period of time. And let's hope it all leads to good things. And that's all we can do and continue to see. I mean, look, All people are looking for is good news and progress. Yes. People want to see that that any effort that they put out that is uncomfortable or burdensome is going to have a payoff, that we are going to see something good as a result of all of these things we are continually being asked to do and in some cases being forced to do to try and achieve this result. So we know we've got at least two weeks that we're on a hold until we can move forward to phase two, correct? Yes. So we know we've got at least two weeks. If this survey is 95% and the next survey is 95% and the next survey is 97% and we see a correlation in the amount of cases going down because even though we've got this te- this this right now this this survey it's not correlating with the test numbers because we're not going to get start seeing those until probably Wednesday of next week from the mask wearing right i mean to to pro- i mean the process time is and turnaround time is about a week yeah you give it a to week to get the process and get it documented to the to the health district right so the tests that we so for example the numbers that we got today were numbers still from the increase in drive-through testing, which, based on today, we have over twenty-one thousand tests done in yes. the Tri Cities. Yeah. Okay, we were at seven thousand yeah. less than a month ago. Yeah. We're over twenty-one thousand now. That we helps. Have, we have got a combined forty-five hundred nine cases. Where Franklin County does have more cases than Benton by a couple dozen. The deaths, one more in Benton County, an 80-year-old man with underlying health issues, none in Franklin. We have 114 deaths total. With 4,509 tests, our mortality rate has just ticked down a little bit lower from yesterday. That's all we can continue to push for and look for. And by the way, the hospitalization rate is under 20% for the first time in a couple weeks. Yeah. It's at 19%.
getting there. We're getting, getting there. there. We're getting there. We're getting there. These are all positive signs. That'll do it for hour number one of the bottom line. When we come back, oh boy. It's been a while since we unloaded both barrels, Ed. Yeah. We're going to do it when we come back because Seattle is just an absolute sinkhole right now.